Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Friday, July 1st edition of the show. Feels weird to say Friday, but it is Canada Day, so happy Canada Day to all of our Canadian listeners. Um, you know, to, to all the people in the small towns that we make fun of at the end of our shows. Uh, happy Canada Day to you. This is a very special pod, though. Super excited about this. The NHL draft is next week, and to to discuss it, to break it down, very gracious this time, Chris Peters, uh, prospect guru analyst covering the draft at Daily Faceoff, host of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast, which is a very impressive podcast considering that it's a one-man operation, <laughs> former stops at ESPN, CBS Sports, USA Hockey. So Chris, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Good to be with you. Um, excited to, to, to be talking draft and to almost be done with it i'm really really excited yeah. to be almost done with this draft class does it feel like the kind of last week of school where it's a uh, you have finals coming up that grind and then it's a little vacation afterwards yeah it's funny it is kind of like the last week at school but the last day of school is an absolute nightmare of like trying <laughs> to com- rush and get everything done like whereas you know so like yeah, as soon as as soon as the as day two is over and the content is is all in the can and you're just like oh that that now I feel like I can let loose, but yeah, I mean the way the way this off season is going to be setting up, um, I don't get much of a break. Like the Holinka Gretzky Cup starts July thirty first, so it's oh, like oh wow, oh yeah, and know, then like, there's World Juniors right world, in August. You got the Summer World Juniors. <laughs> That's that, right. Like, I know, like I'm not at all like excited or looking forward <laughs> to, even though it's my favorite event. Yeah, happy um, off season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically, I mean, and that's kind of the way that the prospect world works. And especially these last three years with the, the pandemic being what it was, you know, we're, we're the thing that I'm really excited about is that we're closing the book on this draft class. And then we are going to get our most, hopefully our most normal season since 2019 uh, yeah. 2018-19. I mean, like, really, that's how long it's been since we've had a, a normal season. 2019-20 ended early. You know, 2020-21 mm-hmm. was uh, trying <laughs> to make it happen. Some leagues didn't even happen. This year, there was obviously a lot of COVID pauses, late starts. The Stanley Cup didn't get awarded until way late in the June. <laughs> Last week. You know? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's 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 been a weird year um, on that front. And now I'm just glad that, you know, we're finally kind of uh, – you know, taking that next step away from this season and going into hopefully brighter days ahead. Normalcy. I think we're all we're all rooting for normalcy. That is yes. for sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, so as everyone knows, and as you know, we're an Anaheim Ducks covering podcast, and it's a really weird draft going into it for us covering this draft because in past years, you know, well, first off, this draft is just confusing as all get out for the those first <laughs> that first round, but also there's a new GM, and yes, it's the same scouting staff, Martin Madden, who is highly celebrated in, mm-hmm. in this world. It He is has a new GM to work with, Pat Verbeek, and what we know about Pat Verbeek, really all that we know going into his tenure with the Ducks is that he really cut his teeth as a talent evaluator, as a scout, working alongside with Steve Eiserman. So we don't really have a great feel for what he's even thinking at 10th overall. Maybe he doesn't either, but so in your experience, though, covering the, the, the draft world and the prospect world, do you have any insight as to what to expect from a guy like Pat Verbeek? <laughs> Not really. I mean, you know, like, you know, I don't I don't I don't know, Pat, you know, and it's just like obviously familiar with where he's been, the stops that he's had, you know, the, the way that those drafts have gone, um, obviously, you know, but the other thing is too, like in 
in Tampa, uh, Al Murray was their head scout and was such a huge part of, of their, you know, you're always like, do we attribute it to Steve Eiserman? Do we attribute yeah. it to Al Murray? Do we attribute it something to Pat Verbeek? You know, like all these different things. And so it's really difficult to say who put their stamp on mm-hmm. that. So like the thing about, you know, Pat Verbeek, obviously, you know, he's, he's in this role for a reason. He's learned from one of the best. I mean, you could say that Eiserman is one of the best, uh, you know, in terms of general managers and, and um, you know, kind of a, like a, a, an almost silent assassin as a general manager, um, you know, and that, and that's helpful. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you, you know, I think that w- the person that you would want to most rely on in terms of how to view the way that the draft is going to go is Martin Madden. I mean, you know, he's, he's one of the, he, he is one of the best at what he does. He's very well respected. There's a reason he continues to get buzz as a potential GM. Um, you know, I think that there was also a lot of people around the ducks that thought he was going to be the guy, um, you know, when, when things moved in that direction. Um, and, and then uh, ultimately it ends up being Pat Verbeek, but you still get to keep, you know, a, a, an elite Italian evaluator in, in Martin Madden. And I think the duck staff as a whole, um, on the scouting front, you know, they're everywhere. They're, they're, they're at the games there. You see them out there all the time. And, um, you know, they're, they're certainly, you know, they've, they've had some really great successes in the last couple of years um, on the draft front and more to come as well. So uh, very excited to, to see kind of what happens. But I think I don't think you're going to see a huge difference in the way that the Ducks operate because, you know, it is largely the same people. There might be maybe an emphasis on certain thing, certain different things, or maybe there was a, a semi slight philosophical change. But I doubt that it was significant enough to impact things but you got you know the, the thing that the ducks do have this year is 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 plenty of draft capital with you know four picks in the first two rounds um and, and that's that's going to be very helpful to them yeah and kind of i mean you talked about the success in the past drafts and so one of the things that i found interesting was your article about kind of assessing the different needs that different organizations have and with the ducks being very specific it was about goal scoring wingers and i think that that was something honestly kind of today i was really kind of thinking about of if the Ducks were to draft for need, what would it be? And kind of the really the one that popped out for me was goal scoring winger because they have the McTavish, the Zegris, the Drysdale, mm-hmm. even the Zellweger. And while the Sasha Pasterjobs, the Jacob Perot, these guys are good prospects, I think that you would probably agree that they're not necessarily first line top end talents, right? Right. Not locks. Certainly not locks yeah. to be, you know, those high end guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of going into this draft i i'm just kind of really curious because your your mock draft came out and you had the ducks taking connor geeky and so we'll get to that in a second but do you think that they could potentially be looking at maybe a joakim kemmel or a uh jonathan lecker lecary mackey looking for a winger as compared to a center if they're specifically looking at at a at a wing or even as compared to defense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, I think that they're, they're in the range where it's more likely that you'll, you would be able to get one of Kamal or Lakiramaki. I think the thing is, is you're, you're also just on the cusp of maybe not getting either one of them. And so that's Mm -hmm. why when I I was just starting to think, you know, well, if you can't get that, and if there's a significant enough drop off to the next phase, and then we're looking at the different defensemen, you know, who makes sense in that range. And, you know, the, that's why, you know, I, I basically mocked geeky. There is like, you're looking at a middle six center, a guy that could be mm-hmm. the, the long-term kind of anchor to that, that, you know, to, to really bolster that, that center depth um, that they have. And um, 
you know, so yeah, I mean, and and the thing is too is you know the nice thing is is that Troy Terry popped last year. You have you know, and they did have Perot and uh, who you know, and and Passage who both you know both very well could continue to round out into you know guys that are are, are middle six kind of scoring depth players. Um, but yeah, so you know, I think that the Ducks are basically just going to go straight off their board. And I, I think he, he just he you know the way that he plays it just screams Western Conference to me. It's you know teams that that want to get bigger that want to be um, you know heavy. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, like, you know, he's not the fastest guy, but he's got great hockey sense. And, you know, I think I just think he's the type of player like I have him a bit lower on my board, but he's the guy that I think will go much higher in the draft than I have him listed. Um, and so, yeah, just the way that that mock draft worked out. I just was like, you know, if I if it came down to it and Geeky was mm-hmm. there and, you know, they could get bigger, you know, it never hurts to get a little bit bigger, too. So, yeah. Yeah. And. and- and that makes sense, and it's a guy that kind of would fit perfectly, right, as that third-line center role. If you have a Zegers, you have a McTavish. And, I mean, Lundestrom is, seems like maybe he'll be that 3C, 4C, depending on on mm-hmm. where he ends up. And so if you have a Connor Geeky coming in to really fill out that role and the, get your four centers right there throughout the system. But I did want to ask you, because I know there's been some talk. I can't recall which one off the top of my head, but either Nazar or Savoy, one of those two potentially being a winger long-term as compared to a mm-hmm. center. Is that someone that the Ducks could be looking at to fill that role as potentially someone that could be a wing long-term to almost ride shotgun with Trevor Zegras moving forward? Yeah, it could be, but I mean, they're both like, I, I think Nazar is probably more like he thinks he's a center. I mean, Savoy thinks he's a center too. Um, Savoy's just a little bit smaller mm-hmm. um, than Nazar is. And so he's, he's been, you know, they're just really, there is no such thing as a five foot nine center in the NHL right now. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Unless, unless they're really lying about Jack Hughes's height, which is possible. Um, you know, so like, <laughs> So like there just aren't many guys, many guys like that that are at that size that play center. But um, the reason that I think, especially since you know, if we look strictly at the mock draft, so Kamel and Lakiramaki were both gone in my mock draft yeah. by the point they got there. Savoy and and Nazar were still there, um, but I just I can't see the Ducks willingly getting smaller um, mm-hmm. at the draft. And I while I personally have both of those guys as in that range that would make yeah. sense at ten. Um, I just, I didn't know if that was necessarily the direction that they were going to go. Now, the fact of the matter is, is with Pat Verbeek in there, um, and you look at the draft picks over the years for, for Tampa and for, um, for Detroit, you know, there's, there is a definitely a proclivity towards skilled players. So that could still very well be the case mm-hmm. where, where either one of those guys looks dynamic enough and, and Hey, maybe he'll be a fit. Um, we don't think he's gonna play in the middle, but he'd be a great wing and, and give, you know, yeah, absolutely bolster uh Zegris uh or McTavish you know for that matter I think McTavish is kind of that more bruising kind mm-hmm. of get in your face forward with tremendous skill but real real snarl to him um you know I think a soft skill a, a soft like I'm not trying to say either of those guys are soft because they both compete their butts off and they're also really you know Savoy in particular is actually quite physical for a player his size um you know that but they, they have good soft skills and so that can actually compliment um you know uh, uh a mason mctavish whereas you know obviously trevor zegers is a soft skill king um you know where it's just like his hands are tremendous and he's got all that so um yeah so you know i think that'll be i think that'll be interesting to kind of to see where they go they're in a very interesting spot in this draft um at 10 because i mm-hmm. think 
I think you know with with uh, with the players that are that are like one of Lakiramaki or or Kamel could be there. It's possible. I, yeah, it's it's looking less like. And I think either one of those, if they were still there, they make a ton of sense for for the Ducks. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 good skilled players. Again, they're not. Neither of them are very big, um, but you know they they are goal scorers. They are the, they are exactly what I said that they need. Right, the goal scoring wingers. So if either of those guys are there, I think you're really ecstatic. Yeah, and that seems like what kind of is going to be really fun about this draft, right? Is that this draft, it seems like maybe the top five, top six is locked in. And then after that, it's just kind of uh, balls in the air and who knows where things are going to go. And I think that's at least from my perspective, looking at this draft for the Ducks is it there could be someone that I really like for the Ducks, like a uh, Kamel or something like that. He could be taken at seven or he could fall even past the Ducks. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that's a f- the fun part of this draft. And I don't know if maybe that's just recency bias for me, but that seems more so this draft than other ones. I think you're right. I mean, I think that the 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 predictability factor is is quite low um, for this draft, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is which is which is fun. I mean, that makes it fun. It also makes it so that those of us in the public sphere don't look like we know what we're doing because the team boards are so different. And yeah. so I think that there will be somebody from outside the consensus of that top ten that that could very well jump in there and really shake things up. I think there could be some trades that shake things up as well. Um, mm-hmm. We already saw it with the Kings trading away yep. to get to their their top pick to get Kevin Fiala's, you know, in a trade that I think actually works quite well for both teams. Um, and then, uh, you know, so there's so much that we we don't know. And then the other thing about it is when you look at this draft and you look further down the board, and this will this will apply to the Ducks in their second first round pick, is the the gap between the players at the end of the first round and all the way down to probably the end of the second round is not significant. Um, there are a lot of players that I think will have first round grades from teams that are not on some are, are just not on somebody else's draft board. There are going to be guys that are, you know, there are going to be guys that, that have a first round grade uh, or that don't have a first round grade that the public loves, you know, like, you know, like Elaine Hudson probably is one of those guys that, that fits into that where, where we in the public love that, love that player. And we don't have to think about the fact that he's a five foot eight, 165 pound defenseman. We just, like the skill um you know so that's another guy where you're like hey he 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 very well i think he's the top 20 pick in this draft and somebody else might say well he's not gonna go until the second late second you know or 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 possibly later who knows um but yeah so so the unpredictability is what makes it fun to watch from a tv show perspective it definitely makes people like me go a little (laughs) bit crazy though that much Yeah, I'm actually excited for this tra- to actually just watch this draft just because I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, you said it on your show, but it, it's going to start at the first pick, which is <laughs> technically true, but also actually <laughs> true in the sense of the, the phrase. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah so we don't which, know what's going to happen. And Felix yeah. is actually a Montreal fan also, so yeah. he's uh, he's dying by that. <laughs> so this is, yeah, so Saku Koivu is uh, the <laughs> great then. Yeah, yeah if, Ducks, if they take... Ducks and Habs, yeah. it, I've, I've jokingly said in our Discord that if they draft Slavkovsky first, I'm going to burn my jersey. But we'll see. I'm not. I'm Don't trying do to that. Talk, He's pretty good. I'm trying to talk myself off the ledge. Um, well, so we've talked a lot about forwards, and yeah. I feel like another. I mean, it's so hard with the Ducks because they don't really have. I mean, you, we we said that scoring winger is a potential area of quote unquote need, but they have a guy I think in every archetype in their system right now. So it's hard. But if you look at the blue line and that range that they're in at 10, there's three names really that I feel like come up a lot. You know, Korchinski, Matichuk, Matukov. And 
at least for me, I'm, I don't pretend to know nearly as much about these guys as someone like yourself. And I know you've talked about this on your show as well, but is that, could you take us through those three pros and cons and just maybe somewhat in relation back to the Ducks, how they would each fit? Sure. So, I mean, the reason it's tough for me to see them necessarily with the Ducks is because of Drysdale and Zellweger. You know, like they are the two guys that, you know, are dynamic and they're not big. Um, And they're, you know, they've got some some real, you know, some real tremendous skill to them. All three of these guys that we're talking about are, are high end offensive defensemen who excel more in the offensive elements of the game than the, the defensive elements of the game. In Denton Matejchuk's case, he's 5 foot 11. Um, you know, so uh, they're all left shot defensemen as well. So you're kind of getting a little bit redundant there. Um, however, I would say that, you know, Korchinski is the guy that probably has the best chance of those players to be drafted by the Ducks. He is the biggest at 6 foot 2. He uh, has tremendous puck moving skills. He's got a real high upside. You know he's going to get stronger. His footwork is very good. Um, you know he's got a real high ceiling. Um, the guy that I like the best of the three is actually Matejchuk, who had over sixty. You know the, he and both he and Korchinski had a lot of points this year um, in the WHL. But Matejchuk was more of a, a driver for his team. He was a guy that would take shifts over, control the puck, control the pace of the game, control the pace of the shift. Um, and that is really impressive to me um, to see the way that he is able to control pucks. And, you know, I think you look, he was on the same team last year as Zellweger at that under 18 world championship. He was more in a bit role, so he didn't play as much. Um, but that was really the, the the event where Olin Zellweger broke out and everybody was like, oh, okay, I see. I see what's there. And now you see what he did this year. And you're like, oh, well, he's even better than that. Um, you know, so um so I think that that's that's tough. The other guy is is Mintukov, who you know you've got the Russian factor to consider. Um, he did play in North America, so he seems like the lowest risk of the Russian players available this year. Um, there is some other stuff that will come up in, in about the Russian players. Not you know just there are going to be teams that just will not draft a Russian player. I don't know who that's going to end up being. You know the the Ducks historically have not drafted Russian players. Um, you know the, the at least certainly not high. Um, and uh, But Mintukov is the be- probably the best goal scorer of those three players. Um, he he gets, he walks into the blue line, walks in from the blue line, gets to the top of the faceoff circles, always finds a better shot. I really like the way that he walks the offensive blue line. Um, he's about six foot one closing. You know, he's, he's going to probably top out at, you know, two, 200, 205, somewhere in there. Um, and, and, you know, be a little bit sturdier defensively. He's, he's does a good job of clearing guys out and he shows good competitiveness, but all three of those guys, you're looking at, you know, higher end offensive skill, um, which is great, but you know, how, how much can you have of, of the same guy on your blue line? And I feel like, you know, you'd be getting kind of redundant with, um, you know, Zellweger, Drysdale, and then that. So you, you do need a bigger, stronger element to the blue line at some point. I mean, you had Josh Manson, you know, and that guys like that still matter um, as long as they're surrounded by guys like Zellweger and and uh, and Drysdale that are going to move pucks up the ice and Cam Fowler for that matter. You know, all those players, um, you know, there is a high value in, in puck moving defensemen still. And there always will be. So they are every single one of those guys is an option for the Ducks. I would say that if they if they had a, to pick, I'm sure they'd like the the bigger guy in, in Korchinski who 
doesn't leave much on the table offensively compared to the other two. Um, and as I mentioned, I really like Zellweger. And then the third guy for me would be Mintukov, but they're all reasonable in that range. Right. I mean, I, I do wonder, you know, cause for me, Zellweger has taken the world by storm this year. And, you know, we, we got to see him play a little bit at the ducks camp last year, the development camp. How much do you buy though? It sounds like you're high on him. So, but mm-hmm. how much do you buy that this is going to actually carry over? Cause I feel like, and we're going through it right now, but with Mason McTavish as well, where when a guy is so good at the junior level, it's obviously not apples to apples with Selbarger and McTavish, but when a guy is so good that you're almost like, okay, well, now I just want to see it at the next level. So how much of the of the Zellweger hype do you think will actually, how much of it do you buy and how much do you think will transfer over to the NHL level? I think he's way smarter than I realized. I think his hockey sense is at a level that is, you know, high end to, you know, borderline elite. Um his mobility is strong. His his ability to, you know, he's got a goal-scoring sense from the blue line. He gets pucks through really easily, um, you know, and, and his footwork is, is, is just great. So one of the good indicators of why his junior campaign wasn't just a fluke is, you know, Hockey Canada did name him to the U20, U20 team before it got canceled. You know, so he's at he was at the World Juniors before it got canceled. He did get picked over Brant Clark, who, as we know, went top ten to the Los Angeles Kings. Ducks fans, I'm sure, will not <laughs> let Kings fans forget about that. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was justified. It was justified because Zellweger is a better player now. Um, and I would say that his breakout season, um, was not a fluke. Um, it was a continuation of where he left off last year, and. He's only scratching the surface. I do buy into what he did. Um, I think that it's not one-to-one transferable, but it is transferable to an extent. He will probably need some extra time um, to get stronger. He'll probably need some extra time to just get the pace right, the timing right. Um, But I don't think that what he did this season was um, a fluke or something that you you just kind of like ignore because it happened in junior. You have to give him some some real respect for how well he played throughout this entire season. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is that with, with the, the setup being as it is, and the fact that he was, you know, last year born only five days before the draft cutoff, you know, yeah. so that's another thing. So he has that longer development runway in terms of age because age matters. It matters a ton. You same I felt the same way about Luke Hughes last year, his, how young he is and how much better he's gotten. You know, but now you're looking and you're saying, wow, if you if we redid last year's draft, there's no question in my mind that Zellweger is going in the, you know, in the top, the top 10, probably, you know, I, I would say that he, he probably goes ahead of Brant Clark, you know, and that's that really shakes things up at least top 15. I mean, the size thing is probably I shouldn't get so bullish on it because of the size, you know, like more than likely he'll go in that same range to wherever Denton Matejchuk's going to go this year, because um, it's a kind of a similar similar situation with a player that's a little bit older. Um, but yeah, but I, I'm I'm a believer, um, and I think that I'm I really can't wait to see how he does in rookie camp and in training camp and in the NHL games that he gets to see if he can handle that pace and if it if he's maybe ready way sooner than we thought. Um, I'm not going to say that's likely, but it is at least not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, I, that's. That's definitely going to be the fascinating thing to watch this year, though, with him, because 
I think from our perspective, we're both talking this back and forth a bunch on Selwiger. How much more does he have to prove in, in the WHL? Right. So it's obviously going to be development, but I think just getting him in some NHL games will be really good to see how he can For do sure. there from a development side. Yeah, fast. yeah. I mean, we, we saw him play, what was it, a couple games in the AHL. He got that little stint at the end. And, yeah. I mean, Joel Bouchard just, like, refused to let him play for the first two periods. Um, by the way, Bouchard's not fired. But Zellweger, <laughs> what was really impressive to me is that I think the highlights you see of him are the skill, the footwork, the, and a bit like the you know the guys we're talking about here, especially Mintyukov, that ability to not settle for that shot from the far blue line and actually getting into the circles. To me, yeah. I feel like that's that's the biggest value add for a defenseman offensively these days because the guys that just spam point shots aren't really as valuable as they used to be. And the guys that can cut in into the teeth of that defense are just so much more dangerous. But with Zellweger, what impressed me was just the fact that he he's so smart. Like you said, like he's mm-hmm. able to read off, like he was reading off of guys who he'd never played with before. Yeah. And he was already creating through the neutral zone. And so that's what has me the most excited is I know it's, it's a, miniature sample but the fact that he could step in and just not look like a deer in the headlights was was pretty impressive to me yeah it is i mean that that is the biggest thing how do they handle that you know that as the pace quickens as the players are bigger and stronger as the pressure you have less time to do things um how how do you transit you know how do you handle that and the guys with the best hockey sense tend to handle it really well and he's such a poised player i mean you know, I, I just I wish that I I came came on board the the Zellweger hype train way too late last year. You know, I didn't know what to do with them. Um, and clearly, uh, you know, I had him too low. And so I'm I'm really excited to see his development here. And a lot of times you'll see that where a guy in the second round is suddenly a wow player. Um, and, and that seems to be the case with him. Yeah, yeah I, I remember, well, just throughout this year, there's so many people compare him to Samuel Girard. And I feel like it's it's not a great comparison because he's just the only player that kind of looks like him right now in the NHL, yeah. but they don't, they don't play the same way at all, really, in terms of the upside. So I did also, I mean, we'll get back to the draft more, but I did want to ask you a little bit about McTavish, just because he's been light. I mean, he completely lit it up in the playoffs this year. And I'm just wondering now, like, do you, do you see him as NHL ready or is there still a bit more runway for him development wise? I think he's ready. Um, I think, you know, there was like, he didn't look great in the Olympics. You know, he got that little stint in the Olympics with Canada and I thought he was a bit disappointing there. Um, but you know, you look at the little tiny bit that we got to see him at the world juniors before it got canceled. You got to see him all the way through this season. Um, and even of course we got to see him in, you know, nine NHL games last year. And I was like, he's close now. He looks close now. Um, He, you know, moving to Hamilton and having a chance to be part of that playoff run is just the last, the last icing, you know, the icing on the cake of his season because he was so good. Um, And I, he's another guy where I didn't necessarily realize until later in the draft season when we got to see him live at the under 18 worlds, just how good he was going to have a chance to be the hands, the, the shot, um, just an incredible shot. Uh, the, the, just the absolute dog on bone nature of, of his game that is just so hard to play against. 
he is uh he you know i mean like i think he's a long-term number two center that is gonna be you know give you good matchups he's gonna make it hard on the other team um you know if you want to flay him out to the wing he's good there too. open up his scoring you know there's all different things that you can do but i mean um i think that the ducks are looking pretty smart for taking him when they did last year certainly there are a lot of great player really good players in last year's draft but mctavish really stood out towards the end and i think he he's rewarded um he's rewarded the ducks for that for that pick definitely circling back to the draft though a little bit right now so we've kind of gone over uh, a couple different people that are players that you think could be available or could be uh options for the ducks at 10 are there any other guys that kind of ran through your head at, at that position because i know there's probably a laundry list of players depending on how this draft goes, but I'm just wondering any other names for people to kind of look out for as uh, the draft starts for at, at number 10 at number 10. Yeah. So, I mean, Marco Casper is another guy that could be there. He's, you know, another guy that could be like a number three center. He gives you a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. He gives you some edge, some skill, some speed, just incredibly competitive. I mean, he makes sense. It's just, you know, will he even be there? Uh, he's been kind of a late riser. Um, you know, I like the player a lot. I think that he, he fits the ducks identity pretty well. Um, you know, he's got some grittiness to him, but then he's got, we're still not sure exactly how much offensive upside is there. You know, he didn't necessarily produce at a high level. Um, you know, so he's going to be an option, you know, you, you just really never know who's going to slip or fall. You know, we, we've talked Mm -hmm. about Savoy, we've talked about Nazar. Um, so yeah, there are some, some real, real good opportunities there. Yeah, and then I know that we haven't really gotten into it yet too much, but at, at the Ducks' second pick, I feel like this might be even harder to say what are some names. I know that mm-hmm. you you ended up landing on a player at 22nd for the Ducks, but what's your feel for, for that that stage of the draft for the Ducks? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like absolute chaos to try to determine <laughs> who's going to be available there. Um, you, you know, like... I just feel like really after like 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there, it just really starts, you know, thinning out. So, you know, I have Liam Ogren to the Ducks. If that happened, they would be ecstatic, I think, because he's another goal scoring winger. Um, But there's even like I could even make a case for Liam Ogren going with the 10th pick. Like, that's how crazy this year is. Like, (laughs) and Ogren had he scored over a goal per game and Sweden's U20 league this year. Um, and and that's, you know, that's pretty solid. But, you know, he also had a really good uh, under-18 world championship. So there's a lot of different things there that I was like, oh, man, you know, like Liam Ogren could make some significant amount of sense for, for the Ducks at either position. But, um, you know, the other thing that could be interesting to do, and, you know, just looking at some of the other names around the board there, uh, Rutger McGordy, who plays uh for the national team development program he captained team usa at the um at the uh under 18 world championship he's more of a rugged kind of uh a rugged kind of wing that that has great goal scoring ability um he's good at the net front he's not the fastest that's probably the thing the biggest attraction for rucker mccordy is that he doesn't have great foot speed um but beyond that i think everything else about his game screams nhl you know the shot. He's got good hands. He sees the ice very well. He's got good hockey sense. He's a high, high, comp- highly competitive individual, and he's physical. Um, so I think that's a guy that makes a lot of sense there. 
Um, Ryan Chesley, also out of the National Team Development Program. Now there's a right shot defense we could talk about that's got some two-way capabilities, decent enough size. Um, he's, uh, you know, one of those guys that, um, you know, doesn't have that necessarily high-end offensive upside, but there's a lot to like about his game. Um, so that's a guy that I'm I'm pretty pumped about as well because I think that he's he's one of those players that I think will go lower than maybe he should. And we're going to look back and say, hey, maybe he was one of the top defensemen in this draft because he's got such a, a wide range of skills and maybe not the offensive upside. Yeah, and one name that kind of sticks out to me, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, the Ducks kind of notoriously for the past, I don't know, decade, maybe even two, uh, have not really picked Russian players. Uh, and I'm wondering if maybe that will change. I know that with the current climate that this might not be the time for it, but with Pat Verbeek, at charge, maybe that changes. But the name you mentioned this on your podcast recently is uh, Ivan Miroshnichenko, and just the fact that he's someone that is kind of a bit of a wild card because I think you said you even had him near the top five going into this season, and that has now obviously changed because of what he's been going through. And so, do you think that maybe some team will take a take a swing at him in the late twenties, or if he's really going to drop into the second round, which is where you have him projected? Yeah, you know, so I mocked him to the second round because I didn't get a, a real great sense that he was going to be, um, you know, the teams felt that the risk was worth taking in the first round. Now, the thing about him, okay, so he's got the Russian factor. He's also got the fact that he has been dealing with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and mm-hmm. that is obviously yep. a very significant health uh, situation. The good news is, is that the prognosis is good. Um, he's resumed training or he's been cleared to resume training uh, for this year and next and, and, you know, and, and get back to what he was doing. Um, the question is, is how long does it take him to get his strength back? How long is it going to take him to get his, you know, his, his, his conditioning and all those other things. And will he actually have a chance to play, um, you know, f- soon next season? That's a lot of stuff that we don't know yet. However, I think especially teams with multiple picks in this draft, mm-hmm. It is absolutely worth, I think he's the high-risk, potentially massive reward player of this draft. Um, watching him at the Under-18 World Championship last year where, you know, he was, it was Connor Bedard, it was Shane Wright, it was Matt Vemichkov. Roshashenko stood out just as much as any one of those guys. Um, and and I thought that he would, he and Michkov were the two guys that really drove the bus for, for that Russian team. Um, so now the question is, how soon can you get him over here? How healthy is he going to be? Are there going to be any long-term effects? Is he more, you know, is there preconditioned towards, uh, you know, other health issues down the road? Um, those are things the teams are going to have to decide. But if we're just strictly talking about hockey, if you get Marashnichenko in the late 20s or mid-20s or wherever, anywhere after the top 15, I would say, you have a chance to have a really special player um, that was really on an upward trajectory before everything went down. And we got a better explanation why some of his first half struggles were there. Well, he was little did we know he had lymphoma. So uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a strange situation, but the, but based on everything I'm hearing right now, there are at least teams that are absolutely considering taking him in the first round. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what the if the Ducks' philosophy there towards Russians will change. I mean, they did draft a Russian player in recent years, which had 
had never really been done by them. I don't know. Jake would know better than me the amount of years. I think Stanislav Chistov, uh, that draft in 03, was the last time the Ducks had taken a Russian forward prior to, what was it, a couple years ago? Yeah. So Yeah, and I'm already forgetting his name. I think it was like a fifth-round pick, seventh-round pick. Anyway, yeah. Well, so I'm excited for this draft. I... It always like you know for us we don't we're not in this world like you are and so for us it really is like a few week experience not a daily experience but I think now that things seem a little clearer to me like I have a better feel I'm just now excited to see it play out and I think for the Ducks they are in a weird not a weird situation I should say but you just saw the LA Kings trade a good prospect in Brock Faber trade their first round pick for Kevin Fiala. And that's a huge move on the LA Kings part. And now, you know, they're in a position where you can make the case that they're going to be the best team in the Pacific Division next year, which is crazy how fast that happened. And we'll get into more of just your overall process maybe after this topic. But I am curious, though, for you, are the Ducks in that kind of position where, you know, is their prospect pool really on that level to where they can ship out a good prospect of that Brock Faber ilk to go out and get the the big name because we're more proponents on this show of, hey, the window is actually opening a lot sooner than people think, and now is the time to make that chess move. But it, I guess if it were up to you or just your overall assessment of that situation. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is going to depend on the long-term future of John Gibson. I think that that's got to be a, a major mm-hmm. consideration about window and, and things like that. I mean, Obviously, with with Terry popping, with with Zegris going, and and you know, and having the number of players that you know, veteran players that are there, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, does Josh Manson want to come back after free agency? There's been a lot of rumors that that could be the case. Um, and so, you take in it, you you do have to take in all that to account. I would say, in a general sense, I would say that the Ducks are probably not as well positioned to take uh, take from their prospect pool to try to bolster their NHL roster. I think that there needs to be, because like the Kings, the Kings prospect pool is silly. Like it's, it's, it's so deep and it's good at every position. Um, You know, but like the ducks have a lot of, you you have, when you have a Trevor Zegers as a potential cornerstone, Jamie Drysdale as, as, as a new foundational piece. And then Mason McTavish as well as part of like that secondary core. I still think you're maybe one or two players away from having that that new core starting to form for the Ducks, and I think you want to have um, as many shots at finding that player through the draft, so that you have them under team control for the maximum amount of time. That's the other thing that's really valuable about drafting. Well, is once you get that player under NHL contract, he's under team control for seven years, you know, or more, and so you have a long runway to work with that player and to get them there. Um, I think if you were a few more players on the NHL roster towards, you know, a more competitive playoff team, then yeah, maybe you start saying, okay, well, we'll look. And the other thing too, is most teams value their prospects more than other teams value their (laughs) prospects. So it's not like they have like in the case of LA's trade with for Fiala, the Minnesota wild clearly valued Brock Faber more than the LA Kings did. That doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen where the the team is like, well, we really like this guy. Now there are certainly times where it's like, but they're usually for the high, high picks, not like, 
you know, for the guys that, that, you know, you, you are like found money in the second and third round that you're like, Holy smokes, we got a player here. Um, Sometimes it is like Brock Faber was kind of one of those players where he was a second round pick that really flourished in the, the, the subsequent two years. So, um, so this is a very long way of for me saying that I still think the Ducks need to be con- in, in construction mode of player acquirement through the draft, getting young pieces back. It's not out of the question that you say, you know, you, you take a look at what's available and and if there are offers out there that allow you to get a good player that still has some youth on his side, um, then you have to consider that as well. But usually the prices are so high on those types of players, they're really difficult deals to make. So, um, so yeah, so long story short, I think it's still time for them to continue building their prospect pool, improving it. It's it's getting better already. Um, just, you know, you want to take it to another level here. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I've been so adamant about they should be aggressive that I've, I think I've almost lost sight of this other side of the coin, which is that, yeah, they're, they're not, the roster itself is clearly not there yet. They were not very good last year. There's different reasons for that. And the prospect pool, while it's so good, it's not overflowing yet. Like they, I don't think that they have an excess of good prospects. They, they, they have great high-end talent. They don't necessarily have the depth of talent. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you mentioned a bunch of great names, but after that, I think maybe that's the, maybe you can chime in on this here, Chris, but I would say that the, the difference maybe with the two prospect pools in LA and Anaheim is that Anaheim, you have the big names, those exciting names. But after that, it, to me, at least it's a lot less intriguing. Like we talked about passage of and Perot and those guys are kind of projects outside of that. I, there's other names, but I feel like LA has another tier of guys after their bigger names. How do you feel about that? That's exactly right. I mean, basically where where LA has found successes in the volume of picks that they've had. So they've had so many, you know, and then you get, you, you take your big swings early in the draft. Um, you know, you get guys like Byfield and Turcotte and Kaliev in the second round. And then, but then they've hit on a lot of their mid round picks too, where it's guys like, um, uh, uh, Samuel Fajimo and like some of these other players that, that kind of came through uh, and, and Mikey Anderson, who's, you know, become a very strong defenseman for them. Um, it makes guys like Brock Fabry, you know, move on from Sean Dursey coming through. So they've, yeah, they've layered it up. So where they have like tier one, tier two prospects and there, there's a lot of guys there. What I will say about the Ducks system though, is, you know, we mentioned those guys, they did sign Pablo Regenda, um, you know, as a, as an undrafted free agent who, and after watching him in the, in the world championship and over the last couple of years in various international events, that's a guy that's ready to probably be an NHL depth player right away. So that's good. You know, and you're, you're, you're building, you're continuing to build, you know, we have Perot. I think Josh Lopina is going to be a solid depth guy down the road for the, for the ducks. You know, we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what Braden Tracy would be um, as an NHL player, but he's certainly, you know, a guy that, that could, could go, uh, go a long way. Sam Colangelo is a project, like a kind of a long-term project, a highly skilled player with size, you know, let him kind of marinate in, in, uh, in college love the drew hellison pickup you know like that's yeah. a that's a that's a spot where they got better um hellison you know is he going to be I, it's hard to say if he's going to be a four or a five or you know like if he's going to be a top four guy for for a long term but he's he's got a lot to like um and then you know they're just a lot of other there are some really good depth prospects in there that you know you're just kind of waiting to see um if there's going to be anything uh anything out of them. and i also happen to really like lucas dostal 
Um, yeah. You know, he's yep. a, he's a goalie that I, I he was my top rated goalie in his draft year, um, and and you know he was he's really he's got such a competitive drive to him, and to see him perform as he did in the AHL this year was very um, inspiring in terms of you know inspiring of confidence. Um, and then Callie Klang getting that pickup as well. Um, he's got upside. There's he's still got a ways to go, but he's got upside. So, you know, that I'm just rattling off names here. And all of those are guys that, you know, have a chance. It's not like I'm saying that they're going to be absolutely NHL players. And, but those are guys that look like they have a really good chance to be, you know, make some sort of impact on the NHL roster in a year, two years, three years down the line. Um, so the Ducks are well positioned as an organization. Um, to, to, you know, kind of take the next steps. They're not in a full teardown mode, which is great. You don't want to be in that mode. Um, so the, and, and then, you know, basically they've been building up the prospect system for years as it is. So um, that, that allows you to kickstart any sort of, you know, the, the post-Getzloff era, we'll call it. Um, you know, that's you're, you have a, a really good starter package to kind of get you going in the right direction from there. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great points. And now I'm just excited for development camp <laughs> just, yeah. to, just yeah. to see all of these guys. Um, yeah, maybe, okay, you've, you've talked me off the ledge successfully, I think, of, of this Fiala thing being a missed opportunity. Although, Jake, does it does it sting to have it be called the, the post-Getzlaff era? Did, did that just make it real for you? It makes me a little sad. I'll, I'll get through it. I'll get We're through it sad. eventually. We're all yeah. sad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so I, I do think, though, that the Pavel Regenda thing is interesting because we haven't really talked about him much because we just haven't watched him play hockey very much, if at all. I, I am very curious, though, to just to see how, how they go about this offseason because they've got so much cap space. They have to just build out a roster yeah. and what direction they go with with that, how aggressive they're going to be. Will John Gibson be a duck come next season? Mm. But there there's a lot. I, I think that the Ducks are just in that position where whatever happens next, I think it's going to be hard to screw this up. And and I'm glad you mentioned that they're not in a full teardown because this is a, a point that Jake has been really hammering at, which is that people saw the Ducks finally trade pending UFAs or, or guys that just that didn't fit the timeline anymore at, at this past trade deadline. And people saw that as, oh, now the rebuild is starting. Now that you've shipped out these established names, all of a sudden, now you're entering the rebuild stage where it's just kind of like, no, no. They've been bad for a while. They've been accumulating prospects. Right. And, and this is just like a sensible move to make. And one other thing that like the Ducks. So look at the New York Rangers, right? You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the moves that they made and getting, you know, getting shipping out established players, letting fans know, hey, we're we're going to rebuild. But they didn't really. Like they didn't do a traditional rebuild. Yes, they had higher end picks. They did luck out by you know getting a one and a two. Although even those guys haven't necessarily contributed to the rebuild yet. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know they 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 stockpiled draft picks. They stockpiled prospects that were already established in other organizations, and just you know and then had the cap space to go out and get in Artemi Panarin had, had the ability to go get a Jacob Truba had, you know, so they, and then at this trade deadline, they were able to get depth pieces that they needed. Um, I feel the ducks in a similar boat. Like they didn't necessarily have the halls that, that New York did from some of their trades, but they got good pieces. Um, and so there are pieces there and, you know, it hurts to trade away guys like Raquel and Lindholm for sure. And obviously Manson as well. Um, but you know, you 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 made yourself better 
long term and now you've got that you don't have to have that full desperation mode that you're in where you just don't have the bodies to compete um i don't think they're there yet they're gonna they're gonna continue pushing forward and you know the thing is is having a zegris having a drysdale and a mctavish like those guys like i i i I call you know teams always have their core players and their future core so they're now it's getting to the point where some of those core players, current core players, are also part of their future core. You know, so that's a good place to be for any organization mm-hmm. when you are already transitioning into that new core of players, yeah. um, which they are. So I think that's a good place to be. Yep, and and that's kind of where I've been kind of at with all this and kind of all the second round picks that they were able to acquire. And while yes, like you said, maybe it wasn't this this huge haul for each player, but the pure accumulation of picks gives them not only got, uh, picks that they can then take, but it also just gives you trade assets. If there yeah. is a deal, for instance, an Alex DeBrinket that comes up, and if it requires a first-round pick, you now have an extra first-round pick in this draft to be able to try to make that happen. You have all the second-round picks. While you they may not have the depth where you want to move guys out of your system fully, you can maybe look at moving a Max Colmtois. You can maybe look at moving some of those picks, maybe um, figure out a way to make it work and for a younger type of player that fits the timeline. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that's, yeah, that's where, that's the direction this is all going. And, and, you know, to have a new GM in that mix with his own philosophy, um, you know, I think that we saw a great example of, of how to do that right. Um, you know, with what the, with the moves that the Ducks made last off season. So that should inspire some confidence in Verbeek to have made trades where you got value back. Mm-hmm. Um, really good value back for pieces that you know weren't going to be part of the long term solution anyway. So, yeah, yeah, snaps all around for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am curious. I mean, this is now totally going back, but you know, Trevor Zegers—that's the first name that comes up whenever anyone talks about the Ducks, and he was a ninth overall pick. And I guess this is a two-part question. I'm curious, looking back for you, the fa- the fact that he was picked at that slot. How did you feel about that? How do you feel about it in hindsight? And I don't know how much you're able to follow, you know, him now in the NHL, but what's, how do you see him now compared to when he was drafted in terms of his ceiling? It's so here's, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to toot my own, my own horn. No, go for it. Do it. That, that's, that's this what is, we're doing the, this for. This is, a, for this is a toot friendly podcast. Uh, yeah. So, um, when I did my draft rankings in, in 2019, um, uh, I'm just pulling it up now to just make sure that I don't perjure myself on this draft. <laughs> yeah. You're under um, oath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, my, uh, where did it go? So, yeah. So basically I love Trevor Zegers in his draft year. Um, I've always liked Trevor Zegers as a player pretty much from the first time I saw him play hockey. Um, which was in his U-17 season at the national team program. And, um, you know, so I was always very, very high um, on him. So if I'm trying to trying to get to my rankings from that year, from, uh, yeah. So anyway, just I had Trevor Zegers fifth in the class, um, okay. which is too low. So don't beat my horn too much. It was too low. He's better than that. Um, so I had, yeah, so basically my top four was Hughes, Kako, Alex Turcotte, Kirby, 
Trevor Zegers. That was my top five. Um, and then Cole Caulfield was six. So, you know, he's basically on the trajectory I expected for him. He, I knew he would be a star, a star player. I know his personality. Um, I know the things that he likes to try. Um, you know, one of the things that stands out is back when um, John Robleski was the head coach of the under 18 team. I talked to him a lot that season. I, you know, I used to work with him, so we had a good, you know, really still have a you know really good relationship. And um, you know, I asked him about Trevor, and and he was telling me, you know, he's like, I, I'm trying to, you know, people don't believe me when I say it, but you know, he does all the things that Jack Hughes can do. You know, when he does, he might not have the same numbers, but he does all the things that he can do. And and when Jack is gone, he his he, he's able to step in and fill that hole pretty pretty well. Um, he's a and I and I watch the Ducks a lot this year because Trevor Zegers is one of my favorite players to follow because of he's just so unique. The skill level, the entertainment factor. He is the future of the NHL. Um, he's he's going to be one of those guys that is 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 pointed to as why the NHL is having success, why, why people are, you know, in the ESPN era of, of, uh, of hockey, Trevor Zegers being a huge part of it is great. Not for just for the ducks, but it's great for the NHL. It's great for American hockey. It's great for everybody. I mean, so, um, you know, he was my number, you know, I, for a long time, I had him as the number one guy for the Calder. Um, I think it just became un, unignorable about how good uh, Moritz Sider was and, and how, how, good he'll continue to be but i mean you're looking at the we're going to look back at this rookie class and see a lot of superstar players coming out of it you know with with lucas raymond uh anton lundell uh cole caulfield he'll 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 be fine you know like and and zegris you know these guys are legit um and i think that we are continuing to go towards a a much more entertaining and highly skilled nhl and trevor zegris is going to be one of the guys leading that charge I don't know. I don't know, Chris. I, I've been told that it, it could be bad for the game, what, what, it, what he's doing. But <laughs> I hear that one more time. I'm going to cancel I... every subscription. Uh, to, I'll, just, I'll, just, well, I'll listen to games on the radio. Oh, wait, no, that's where it gets worse. No. Yeah, I was, I was like, that's yeah. worse. That's wait, worse. never mind. Well, so, I yeah. just can't, I can't wait for the, the Anaheim-Philly games next year, is all I'll say. Well, yeah, I... I mean, it is crazy to think how much he means to the sport, and it can't be understated how much I think this sport needs yeah. a guy like that. And I think he is a bit of a product of the way things have gone the last few years, where there has been a shift to skill, but now he's an acceleration of that, and it's yes. it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Um, I I you know I don't know how it was when he was you know in it pre-draft, but it has been challenging this year because the way he gets coached is very what's the word kid gloves that jake likes to use <laughs> yes you know yes. was that was it at all like that pre-draft or is this just kind of like he's so different that coaches don't know what to do with him um you know what the interesting thing so when he was at the national team program that was one of the best teams they've ever had there um with jack hughes cole caulfield cam york matt Boldy, uh spencer knight um you know, guys that are Cole Caulfield, Seems Alex insane. Turcotte, you know, it's it, and there are going to be more guys that, that come off that team. Most of that team will play in the NHL before it's over. If not, you know, I don't think every single guy will, but I think at least 90 percent of it will, um, yeah. which is nuts. Uh, but anyway, uh, Drew Hellison was on that team, too. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the the way that John Robleski ran that team was that he knew that he had 
basically a team full of Ferraris and he let them be Ferraris. Um, you know, and so that was, I think one of the things that made that team so fun. And you could also say maybe it was one of the team, one of the reasons why they didn't end up winning the gold medal at the under 18 world championship when they ran into a Russian team that had great goaltending and, and was very difficult to play against and, and, and more physical. Um, but, you know, but I would say that, uh, Trevor Zegers was allowed to do the things that he was that he's been doing um, in the NHL, and you would see him, you know, at that under eighteen World Championship. One of the reasons the Team USA maybe wasn't as effective was because Trevor Zegers had a separated shoulder throughout the entire tournament, um, and played through the pain. And still, I think he probably still had like seven or eight points in that tournament, you know. Um, and then you look at the other so. Actually, one of the one of the times where I started to get worried, so he did get handled with kid gloves in his first World Juniors. He was yes. he was down the mm-hmm. lineup. He barely yep. played. He still had an assist per game. Yeah, you know, like I remember was, that. You know, and so he, I, you know, I think that that was that was a situation where it didn't work out well for him. The following year, let him go, and what happens? Yeah. The greatest single world junior by an american player in 30 years yeah so that's it just goes to show you that some players don't need to be tamed let them go i think that's what we're so excited for here hopefully there's a change in methodology this year because while dallas akins i think gets some credit for letting him be creative he also definitely um was what's the best way to put this he made sure to not have him on the ice in specific situations because he thought he couldn't handle it and was very staunch in that and very stuck to that instead of just putting him out there and letting the best player on your team be the best player on your team. Yeah, it's you know it's it's hard though because I think that the other thing is too is you see you see the NHL and yes it is becoming more skilled and fast but it's still a uh-huh. hard league too. Yes. Um, and so so yeah, so I, I but but I mean I think that there are ways to maximize a player like Zegris without mm-hmm. forcing him to change. You can change the situations around him. Yeah. Um, the line mates, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the systems, whatever you do, but you know, he's the kind of guy where I just, just would want him to be a Ferrari and just keep going and, and being unbelievable. Um, definitely. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, free free Zegris uh, to do everything and, ev- <laughs> let anything and everything. Let Zegris cook. Yeah, let let Z, let Z cook. Let Z cook. Let's make that a hashtag. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I do think that a lot of it, like you said, it is still a tough league, and there's still crazy people in the league that will that will punch a guy in the face when he hasn't even dropped his gloves yet. And you know, like last year, I mean, you saw like they put Nick Delorier on on Zegris's line for a little while, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show that there is still that element. Um. We're, I think we're almost at an hour here, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time. But one thing I've been dying to ask you is just, you know, the, the field that you're in, I feel like is so work intensive. And we can probably do another separate podcast about how you go about it. But just give us like a rundown of like, what's your process like? What's like a typical day just assessing the future of hockey, really? Yeah, you know, every day is different because, you know, it kind of depends on if I'm on the road, if I'm, you know, if I'm at home. Obviously, now it's easier to do this job from home than ever before because there's more software available to us that is allows us to see six games in a morning or see, you know, one player every every shift he took this season. Um, that's remarkable. The, the fact that we have those tools helps a lot. And 
and a lot of NHL teams had to gravitate towards the, the, the pandemic, forced them into situations where they had to u- do a lot more video scouting. Um, I will continue to say that that it is so important to be at as many games as you possibly can. Um, there is so much that video will miss. And also, you know, dealing with the European leagues, some of them, some of the junior leagues that just have a robotic camera that may not catch everything that's on <laughs> yes. the ice, um, which is a huge pain in the ass. But I mean, anyway, so you got that. And then, um, but, you know, and, and still like you have to go to those kind of clearinghouse events too, if you, if you can. I've been lucky enough to been able to go to like, you know, uh, most of the last several under 18 world championships, the world juniors, um, the, the CHL top prospects game, all of those different things are hugely important to, um, to basically, uh, you know, get a picture of the players. But the thing about my job that, that is unique is, you know, I can't necessarily focus only on the players that are draft eligible i have a huge you know i have to also look at all the players that are drafted to do other rankings and um so i will say that the work that we do in the public is limited in scope in terms of you know we do the best we can i have by necessity i have to focus on the players that i think are going to be you know the best 30 players in the draft, you know, like that's, I I need to, I feel really a responsibility to nail those as best I can. Um, But then I also, you know, so I'll spend more time on those players and then I have to break it out with other players. Um, It's important as well to have a hierarchy of um, skills that you value. Obviously, you know, the, the, the catch-all term is hockey sense. I know some people hate it because it doesn't, it's not descriptive enough, but I know what it means to me. Um, and so that's where that's the, 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 and that's the highest level of skill that I need to see. I need to see a guy that has hockey sense. If he doesn't have hockey sense now, very difficult to acquire. doesn't matter how good a skater or how skilled you are, if you don't know how to use it. Um, so that's, that's another thing. Skating is a huge thing. Um, a player shot, you know, physicality, size, all those things matter in some, in some way. Um, so you try to set those hierarchy of skills and then use that to determine which players are better. And then I still think, you know, you look at the stats, you look at historical comparables, you look at all these different things that you try to try to, you know, what are the precedents for the way this player, um, a player of his size and in his league, um, you know, you, you look at things like NHL equivalencies. I try not to put too much stock into them because they are just a sliver of the evaluation. They're they're valuable, though, you know, to see that, that uh, you know, this year Logan Cooley um, and Shane Wright have the same NHL equivalency, you know, in terms of – and that's just a, a point total relative to league strength and what that would translate mm-hmm. to in the NHL um, is essentially what that is for anybody that didn't know what that is. Um, you know, so to see that, then, you know, it makes you – say okay well why would that you know let's look and see what are the what's what are the separating factors between these two players um you know so there's just a lot of different things that you have to do it's very time it is time intensive you have to understand where you are limited and cut your losses sometimes on you know i can't spend as much time on this player or that player um uh, and then also a lot of it's talking to scouts too. This year I did a little differently. I tried to, to focus less on my on the scout opinions and more on my own, partially because at one point I thought I was going to try to transition into scouting this year, um, and I just wanted to do it on my own a little bit more. And then eventually, you know, other things, other opportunities popped up that I felt were better. And so um, I, uh, but still, no, in a normal year I would also consult more scouts and their opinions. 
I tried, you know, you can talk to their coaches, you can talk to the players, you can talk to, but you really can get a very independent review from scouts that you trust. And, and, and then you, they, they might say things that you haven't thought of or that you haven't considered. And so that's, that's another piece of the evaluation puzzle. But um, in the end, what it really comes down to for me when I'm making my list, when I'm finally making my list, would I prefer this player or that player? And you do that a hundred times for, for a pool of about, you do it more than a hundred times because you, but ultimately, you know, I try to cut my, my list off at a hundred. Some teams might not even have a list that long. Some teams might have a much more curated list and are picking, you know, based on, team fit and things like that, where, you know, it's the best player available. We don't think a lot of people have this guy on their board. We're hoping we can get him in the seventh round. Here he is. He's 70th on our list, you know, or something like that. So, um, so yeah, so basically at, at the end of the day, the shortest, the shortest explanation is, do I think this player is better to be an NHL player will be better down the line. Will be the best option to be an NHL player down the line. Or is it that player? And you just continue to do that and do that and do that and do that until you turn in the list and you can't do it anymore. And then you keep doing it afterwards because you're in your own head. And then you're like, I mean, I just got to be ready in case the draft happens. And so, yeah, I mean, and that happens every single year where you're just, you're just constantly tweaking and thinking about things and you want this one back or that one back. And the good news is that um, it's not a multi-million dollar decision for me. It's just a name on a list. Uh, <laughs> whereas for the NHL teams, it is a multi-million dollar mm -hmm. decision. People's jobs are on the line. And I think that that's why we really have to respect the, the work that's done by those people, because um, they're the ones with their necks on the line. They're the, you know, the, the whole man in the arena thing. You know, I, I evaluate what they do, but I don't have the same set of standards that I have to live up to that they do. So um, I try to be aware of that when I do my analysis as well. Yeah, I, I do have a couple follow up questions to that sure. really quickly. So you talked about hockey sense, and I feel like this is one of the biggest discussions we have out there. But for you. What does hockey sense look like? You know, if you could like flesh it out just a tiny sure. bit more. Yeah. And also, and also, how do you develop? How did you develop your sense for hockey sense? Because for me, I know when someone says hockey sense, I know what that means to me, what it looks like to me, growing up watching the game, playing all that. But for you, how how do those two things kind of develop? Yeah. So the only way to kind of develop a, uh, an eye for hockey sense is to watch a ton of hockey like you have got to watch and you have to watch at the nhl like just because i cover prospects i have it is part of my job to watch a lot of nhl hockey because if i'm not watching that then i don't know what i'm supposed to be looking for with the prospects so i'll say that again that's that's another important thing hockey sense to me though so there's there's a number of factors that i look at for hockey sense awareness you know just understanding what's around you who's around you uh, what's it, what, what are the plays available to you? Anticipation. Are you able to get to the right spot at the right time? Are you able to, um, you know, read plays? Can you, are you picking off a lot of pucks? Are you able to get, take the right angle? Are you able to anticipate when that player is going to make the move? Um, vision, which is, you know, passing, uh, it, it's all comes back to passing. Are you finding lanes? Do you see the opening is, are you spotting plays that on the ice that I can't see from the stands? And that happens all the time. You're, and that's where you're like, whoa, I didn't even see. How do you make that pass? That was one of the mm -hmm. things when, when I'd watch Jack Eichel. He'd always like pass it to somebody that was, if I was watching a video, he was out of frame. You know, and so like, <laughs> it's like, it's, a, it's unbelievable. You know, you watch those those players. And, um, you know, Zegris is a, is a tremendous example of a guy that, you know, yes, he has the hand skills and everything, but the vision is mm -hmm. otherworldly. 
otherworldly. He sees things in a way that I don't think very many players do. Um, you know, so I'm, you're always excited about that when you see that in a player, um, processing speed is another thing that has really come into my lexicon. Um, when I look at a guy like Logan Cooley, who I pick have number one on my board, the reason that I, he's there is because I think he has the best processing speed of anybody because he plays the game at hundred miles an hour and he thinks the game at 110. So, you know, so that's where, where you're just saying, you know, he, he is, he is able to make plays off the rush. He's able to, you know, beat defenders, back them down. Um, he's able to do everything fast. He makes those guys that can make really strong decisions in the shortest amount of time. And you'll see that where does this guy, how many, how many passes into skates does this guy have? How many times did that pass hit a stick? How many times did he pick the right, you know, put the right amount of spin on a, like those, all those things. And, and they're all different things that, that yeah. you just kind of try to pick up over time. So that is hockey sense is such an all encompassing thing, but it's, you know, basically it just breaks down to that awareness, anticipation, processing speed and vision. Like those are the biggest things for me um, that I, that I view it as and making the right plays at the right time is the simplest way to put it. Um, but there's so much that goes into that. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And I, I think yeah. that is kind of like the most exciting part of, of this whole thing is just, how do you guys think the game, you know, on top of the skills? Because a lot of them, they're all good. Um, but it's like, that's that's the differentiator for sure. Um, I think that's all I've got, Jake. Did that, you have anything else you want to follow up That's all I've with? got. That is all okay. I've got. Yeah, well, so see, when you just wind me up, I'll just go. <laughs> and then yeah. hopefully I'll stop love at it. some point. Yeah, so. Lo- love it. Well, this so, has been fantastic. Yeah, Chris, you've been super gracious with your time. We, we really appreciate it. I'm pumped now. You've made me more excited for this draft. Yes. And you've also Good. talked me. We talked about me being a Habs fan, which is like part of the, the bingo card game of this show is how many times do I mentioned that in a show. But you've <laughs> talked me into Cooley at first overall. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. You're thank welcome. you. Yeah. I'm praying for it. I'm praying <laughs> yeah. for it. Um, but so we'll see what happens. But before we get you out of here, let people know where they can find you, what you're working on, what you've got cooking, just anything. Yeah, so when for actual draft night, just hang out by my Twitter. I'll be at, at Chris M. Peters. That's uh, I'll have a lot of you know in draft analysis. Um, Daily Faceoff has my draft rankings. Dailyfaceoff.com. Um, I believe they will be producing you know live draft analysis with my scouting report. So um, I won't necessarily be providing new analysis to that, but there will be um, you know basically a way to figure out who did your team pick and what are they like. Um, uh, and the nice thing is, is there, it's all free. You know, it's not behind a paywall, which is where my work has typically lived. Um, so that's all there. And then, yeah, my, my podcast is called Talking Hockey Sense. You guys alluded to it earlier. I, I have a, a two hour, um, fifth, four, I got, I, I put out a call for questions and I got 48 questions. Usually I get like 10 or 11. I got like 48 <laughs> questions. I was like, well, this is going to be a long night. Put the hard hat on. And then it's like, back to the podcast minds we go. Uh, and yeah. And so, so that's, uh, that's basically, uh, that's basically everything. So, uh, so I really appreciate the time coming on with you guys. It's great to talk draft. This has been a lot of fun and, and I appreciate the questions about process too, because uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about and it's something that, you know, I know a lot of people are, are always trying to figure out as well. And quite frankly, so am I, I'm still learning every single day. So <laughs> it, uh, it's honestly so one of the most fascinating, most fascinating things because it's just something that's, I think we don't always think about because we just read the rankings from, from you, from all the different people. And we don't necessarily think about how people get to those. And I yes. think that's part, yeah. for me one of the most fun parts is understanding that and seeing how you get there. Yeah, so I really you, appreciate you diving into that. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And the, the last thing on that, it's just so much of it is trial and error. You got to make mistakes to learn. Um, and and that's kind of the the I made 
dozens and still will like there's just you, it's one of those things you will never be 100 percent perfect at and uh you have you have to become okay with that pretty quickly and you have to understand that yeah you're you're not as good as you think you are uh <laughs> you know because the draft can be a very humbling experience so uh yeah but no it's i'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that and I, I certainly enjoyed talking about it yeah absolutely i mean i think to me the value of you explaining all of this is that i think a lot of people like jake said they see the rankings they see the players but I think breaking down what to look for and explaining why you've gotten to this ranking is really important. Because I think other sports, now I'm continuing this podcast unwittingly, but <laughs> other sports, like I think maybe basketball or what have you, like you can, it's more easy to point to like, okay, he does this thing well and there's like a stat for it. Whereas hockey, a lot of it is not really measurable or it isn't measured that well. Right. You have some really great tracking data now in the in the public scouting sphere which has made it a lot easier to see how this guy actually plays. But yeah, it's people need to understand what's going into it. Cause then at the NHL level, people will look for the right players more instead of saying, you know, that Derek Rand is this great shutdown center. Although the ducks seem to think that too. So who knows? <laughs> anyway, there's your Derek Grant shot for the, for the bingo game. Okay. Well, we're going to get out of here. I'll just say very quickly that if you've enjoyed today's show, if you want to help keep supporting us, uh, very easy ways to do so. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, YouTube. Uh, Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That will do it for our show today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Chris once again. And we'll talk to you very soon. The draft is coming up. Have a good 4th of July weekend, everybody. Thanks, everyone.